You're listening to Beyond the Plate with Andrew Kaplan. This sounds so weird. You're listening to Beyond the Plate with Cappy. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down in person with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Every episode, we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's bustling hospitality industry. Here's what's going down this week. It is our second, fifth Wednesday of the month. If you're a regular listener, you probably know, and hopefully it's obvious, we started Beyond the Plate because we believe there's more to a chef than the food you eat in their restaurant. In addition to creating delicious meals, many chefs are prioritizing social impact or charity work, and each does it in their own way. What gets me the most excited about being part of the food industry are the people, quite frankly. Some of the most generous, thoughtful, and compassionate people work in this industry. And here are some examples of that through the podcast. We've heard stories from Rachel Ray and why she gives back through cooking and kids. We've heard from Andrew Zimmern and how he gives back through hunger and homelessness. We heard from Alice Waters and her edible schoolyard. Eric Repair from Le Bernardin and his work with City Harvest in New York. Chef Michael Solomonoff in Philly and his Rooster Soup Company. On and on. Each episode has something very special to these chefs. So we release our episodes every Wednesday. When there's a fifth Wednesday in a month, there's only been one so far, we meet people in and around this industry. In episode nine, we asked five questions to some young women in Guatemala who started an organization called Meal Flower. Be sure to check that out. For this episode, we actually sat down at Soho House in Chicago. We are doing a live radio feed with Lumpin Radio, which is a local radio station here based out of Bridgeport. We sat with Chef Tony Montuano. Tony's known internationally, quite frankly. He's a huge influential culinary force, and he's the chef and partner of Spiaggia Restaurant, a 33-year-old Italian restaurant here in Chicago that gets consistent high ratings. He's also affiliated with Terzo Piano, Mangia Trattoria, and his hometown of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and some more. Don't get me started on the Wisconsin Italian chef thing. Between Tony Montuano and Paul Bartolotta and Chef Michael White, you have three of the best chefs in the country, three of the best Italian chefs in the country, all from Wisconsin. It's very weird. I digress. Tony was a contestant on Top Chef Masters. He's won tons of culinary and service accolades. And the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, has called him his favorite chef. So in keeping with the theme of five, we played a fun game with Tony where he picked a dish out of a bowl or out of a hat. And he was going to tell us if this Italian dish was in fact authentic, where it was from, and how you could make it at home. But beyond that, in keeping with the theme of giving back, Tony shares with us how and why he gives back and how he um, influences his cooks in his restaurant to do so as well. He's a huge proponent of the Academy for Global Citizenship, an incredible school in the southwest side of Chicago that I happen to be affiliated with as well. And he's a big champion for Alex's Lemonade, which is an American pediatric cancer charity based out of Philadelphia, which does incredible work in Philadelphia. They do a big event in Los Angeles, Chicago. If you haven't heard of Alex's Lemonade, I highly encourage you all to check that out. So please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate for this fifth Wednesday with Chef Tony Montuano. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Soho House. We're live. 
I'm Cappy. Thank you to Soho House for having us. We're live on Lumpin Radio with Chef Tony Montuano. Chef, I'm always excited to be live with you. This is our second interview we've done. This is the first live podcast we've done for Beyond the Plate, and it's going to be the best live podcast that we've done for Beyond the Plate. I think we're going to set the bar. That's right. That's right. So everyone here and listening in, please welcome Chef Tony Montuano. Woo! All right. All right, Chef. Round of applause. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Chef, I interviewed you seven years ago, and I'm jumping right into this because my mouth is already watering, but you, we, we talked about great dishes that we like to eat, and you said the twice-cooked pork at Laos Szechuan is one of the top 20 dishes in Chicago. I asked you what your number one dish was, and I want to know today what is your number one dish in the city of Chicago. Hmm, that's a good question. I have so many. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you two or th- you could have two or three. Well, I you know recently we ate at Rick uh, Bayless's new restaurant um, over here on Randolph, and that whole fish that he does on the grill pretty much skyrocketed to the top five. So that's that, a delicious dish. That restaurant. That's crazy about that restaurant. It's all wood burning. There's no gas hookup in that kitchen. Which I talked to him the other day, and he, his wife had told him that he was crazy for doing that. Yeah, he said. yeah, that's you know going back to your caveman. Uh, yeah, origins. <laughs> Let's talk restaurants. Biagia, tell us a current menu item that you're excited about. I'm really fortunate to work with a really young, talented team. Joe Flam is the executive chef there, and he's so passionate, uh, not only about ingredients that he buys locally all the time at Spiaggia, but he is passionate about teaching the skill of being a chef. And I see the people that, the young people that come in and work on the line every day, and he teaches them, it starts with sharpening your knife. It starts with that, it moves, you know, just, just like this whole idea of being a professional and what to say and when to say it and, you know, what to, how to talk to your fellow workers. And I'm not answering your question, but... Oh, I uh, love this, keep going. But he is, he's just, I mean, he he's creating things right now. And of course, anything he creates or the, anyone of the sous chefs created the restaurant, they put before me uh, before it goes on the menu. But, I mean, he's rolling out uh, tortellini every day before service at the pass. And, I mean, it's a tomato pasta and it's filled with ricotta cheese and it's a tomato consomme. So it's like taking advantage of the great ingredients available right now. So right now, at this point in time, that's my favorite dish right at Spiaggia right now. That sounds delicious, and I'll probably see you this week. <laughs> you were talking about Joe and the cooks and almost like the discipline they have. I actually have a question. I know in old French cookery, when cooks were, were trying out to work on the line at a restaurant, they would a lot of chefs would have a cook make an omelet. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to, well, it was to see how good omelet tastes and things like that, but it was almost more so to see the finesse of the cook, I mm-hmm. feel. Mm-hmm. Is there something in Italian cookery, whether old school or new school, brought to your kitchen? I think it comes really it comes down to skill level and how you are how you interact with the other members of the team are you someone who jumps in are you someone who helps out that person that's next to you if he's having trouble and so we watch that when we have a stage that is interested in a job how are you a self-starter do you really want to be there are you is is the best interest of the restaurant your best interest are you wanting to make an incredible product and that's Rather than one particular thing, you, maybe you make an omelet, but you can't really work with anyone else around you, then there's really no place for you. So a lot of credit goes to Joe for creating that environment, but 
that's really what we're looking for. Someone who plays nice with others. Yeah. <laughs> that's so kind. Do you have any models in the kitchen that you go by or things you instill on your cooks that they know Chef Tony likes this? I mean, for me, it's there's so much, and I it, there's so much about tradition. When it comes to Italian cooking, it's like you have to really know the fundamentals of cooking. You have to know what goes into a carbonara. You have to you have to know the right way to make it before you add your touch to it or you add an egg and all of a sudden any dish you make is a carbonara. I mean, I think it's it's just respecting tradition. So a lot of the time what we teach is how to make a dish a certain way and then we can grow it from there. We can add ingredients there. We can customize it for the season. But you really should understand where it came from, I think. Which is great foreshadowing to some fun we're going to have. And a few minutes later in this episode, we have some traditional Italian dishes that I've wrote down. And Chef Tony Montuano is going to pick a dish that's written on paper, not an actual dish, out of a hat or a, a big silver trophy looking bowl that we have here. A um, terrine. And he's going to tell us if it is in fact a terrine, yeah. He's going to tell us if it is in fact a traditional Italian dish and how we can make it at home. I do have a question. You were talking about your cooks in your restaurant and a lot of people these days are talking about shortages of cooks. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking a couple weeks ago with Chef Rocco Desperado and it was an interesting conversation because he said back in the day, chefs, and I'm sure you went through this, you'd, you'd have a hundred residents sitting on your desk of people wanting to come and work for you. And we use the word stage, which is kind of getting a taste of a restaurant working there for a day or two or or a week or a month. And nowadays you're hard to come by the stack of resumes like that. How do you, how do you deal with that situation? I think you have to remember that these young cooks that want to stage want to learn. They, they want to work in a place where they can pick up some knowledge before they move on. And I think what Joe and I have done is we, we actually are, we like, to teach and it's an important part of what we do we teach you you know you're not going to learn molecular gastronomy at Spiaggia you're going to learn how to cook you're going to learn how to make pasta you're going to learn how to work with one of the oldest wood-burning ovens in the city Um, you're going to learn how to grill you're going to learn the basic techniques but if you create that sort of learning atmosphere I think that you will attract a lot more cooks and we have a lot of cooks that we that come in really from all over the country and they're you know they hear from someone else or they knew somebody that worked there before and like was it worth it did you learn something and so on any particular night a stage that's in a kitchen may have staged at Alinea and blah 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 but Spiaggia has to feel right for that person like if you want to learn about traditional Italian cuisine then this is the place if you don't then you should work whatever you're wherever you're interests are. Sure. So at a place like Spiaggia, that's 33 years old and sets the standard for a lot of Italian restaurants, not only in the city, but around the country, quite frankly. How do you stay relevant or fresh or exciting? We've been fortunate to have a steady stream of talented people. And, you know, Missy Robbins was the executive chef 10 years ago. Missy, who is Lilia in New York. Lilia in New York, who's first cookbook is coming out Tuesday. We're actually going to go to the grand opening party or the grand, the the release of her cookbook nice. on Tuesday night. But so, you know, here's someone who really was passionate, wanted to, but she had spent time in Italy too. So by we stay relevant by bringing in great young talent. You know, Sarah Grunberg, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, today it's Joe Flam. These are all people who, if you haven't heard of them, you will hear of them in the very near future because we give them an opportunity to work in a restaurant that does traditional Italian cuisine. And all three of those chefs we also sent to Italy as part of their getting ready to be the executive chef at Spiaggia. That's exciting. Share with us uh, something you've been up to lately, something that's next. I I feel like I've been keeping an eye on your Instagram page, but what's new and exciting? One of the really uh, crazy things we did is we have been doing, Kathy Montuan and I wrote a cookbook a couple years ago called Wine Bar Food. So we've had an actual wine bar at the U.S. Open Tennis Championships in New York and Flushing. This year we took it one step further and we actually popped up Cafe Spiaggia. Like a whole pop-up. It was it was crazy. It was in a brand new building. So the tournament starts on a Monday. On Monday, they were still putting in electrical. (laughs) By Thursday, we were in the restaurant and Thursday afternoon. I think Wednesday night we got in the restaurant at like 10 p.m. and cooked through all the dishes. It wouldn't be a restaurant opening if no, it wasn't down no. to the wire. Like I mean, you that. had all year to build a restaurant. Yeah. Why, why, you know, it's, why the, do it on time? <laughs> I know, the open is, what, two and a half weeks every yeah. year? Um, and it was, it's a brand new building right in front of Arthur Ashe Stadium, and it sits on top of a Mercedes-Benz showroom. And it's like two and a half weeks, you build this building to show Mercedes-Benz guy. The rest of the time, it stays empty. Anyway, it was a great setting. Anyone that walked into the U.S. Open had to walk by the Cafe Spiaggia pop-up. And so we ended up, Joe and I did a menu that was 10 items, built for speed, but very representative of what we, what we do at Cafe Spiaggia. And we were serving 700 meals a day from 11 a.m. till 11 p.m. So You weren't doing fresh pasta, were you? We were doing oh, fresh man. pasta, but we actually found somebody imagine there's somebody in New York that makes fresh pasta yeah. but yeah we found the person who delivered it to us every nice. day because that would have been crazy You're right. yeah that's that's a lot that's exciting let's get into as part of beyond the plate one of the main reasons why I started this podcast is to show the generosity and compassion that chefs around the world have they all give back in their own way whether it's their own foundation or helping someone else or helping in others in time of need and there's 5,000 examples but I want to talk with you a little bit about how you give back I know you know on a, on a personal level you and I are part of an event for the Academy for Global Citizenship we do a big event called Chef's Playground every year raising a lot of money for this incredible school on the southwest side of Chicago but other than that I mean I'm sure you can rattle off 50 things that you have done or do in the charity world but can you share some of those causes you're involved with yeah but as you know andrew like that school is an amazing place that academy for global citizenship and one visit there and to see what they do and what they aspire to do makes you want to be involved and so that has been something with along with the support of bon appetit and fidel baucio at the art institute we've been able to put on some very successful events and raise a lot of money for the school. I'm also one of the uh, hosts of Alex's Lemonade Stand Chicago with Paul Kahn and Donnie Medea. Alex's Lemonade is an incredible foundation started in Philadelphia by uh, a young girl who was affected with cancer as a Mm -hmm. kid, right? So it's this foundation and they do events now in LA, New York, Chicago, Philly, raising money for Child Cancer Research. Research is all, yeah, all the money goes to research. It's an incredible organization. So I was super happy to see it come to Chicago. Yeah, and the people that run the foundation are Alex's parents. 
And so at every event, you, you hear the story of, you know, Alex and what she did and how she wanted to raise money for cancer research by in her front yard starting a lemonade stand. So, so were you part of that event before it came to Chicago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Philly, yeah. starting in Philly with Mark Vetri. And then in New York, it was uh, with Jonathan Waxman. And uh, this year, we're actually doing it October 3rd with uh, Alex Gornishelli. So it's nice. something we've been involved with. It's such a great story. And there's such great progress being made over the years yeah. to hear uh, the Scots uh, talk about, Liz and Jay Scott talk about what they've done. It's pretty amazing. That's excellent. How about some advice for young cooks? I mean, I've heard people say who are very philanthropic, you could give back with your money, you could give back with your time, you could give back with your voice, however you choose to. Some people think they can't you know, contribute to philanthropy if they don't have money to give, but there's plenty of ways beyond that. Is there something that you speak about to your staff, front of house or back of house staff or young cooks in instilling this of about giving back to the community? Yeah, it doesn't have to be about money for sure. I mean, I think chefs and restaurants are probably called upon more than just about any business to contribute uh, because we have a service that we provide. So I can't tell you how many times a year we're cooking a meal in someone's home for some charity. And that's the way we give back. And I think that's important because there has to be something that makes you feel like you're, you're doing something worthwhile because at the end of the day, you're just, you're cooking food. You know, it's not brain surgery. So All right, let's have a little fun and do a speed round of questions. Yeah, let's go. Um, All right, number one, what did you have for dinner last night? Ooh, actually, we were a little jet lagged because we got back from Italy yesterday. Ah. And uh, we ended up going to the uh, the Lincoln Park, Green City Market, and bought a bunch of vegetables and just sort of cooked them down real slow and had a nice little vegetable stew. Nice. Uh, When was the last time you ate fast food? There's a follow-up question. Wait, there was a time. When, 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 oh, yeah. So Rachel Lowe, our, our Sam at Spiaggia, just got married in um, near Ann Arbor on her family's farm over Labor Day weekend. And we were on the road and we were driving and we had no gas and we had to stop and we had some, uh, what were they, Wendy's chicken something? Yeah. Delicious. Like little chunks of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> little chunks of chicken. I don't know what they're called, but it, it really it worked out. I was hungry. <laughs> Take that, Wendy's. I love those, by the way. You do? Yeah. They're the better of the... Because my wife, who's in the audience here, knows what's coming next. <laughs> this is our guilty pleasure. And we used to live down the street from one of the best Wendy's in Chicago. Not that I've been to more than one Wendy's in Chicago. Um, but when we would come home late and we were hungry... We, For some we, reason. Sometimes we, we may or may have not gone through the drive through and yeah. gotten little chunks of chicken. <laughs> Anyhow, name a smell in the kitchen you love. Name a what? A smell in the kitchen you love. Oh, the smell of guanciale, like Mm. cooking in a pan with olive oil. Nothing like it. Explain what guanciale is. It's the uh, cured jowl of a pig. So much like bacon or pancetta, which is unsmoked, it's the same process that's applied to the cheek of of a pig. Got it. Delicious. And by the way, the only meat for carbonara. Not pancetta, not bacon, so guanciale. Which carbonara may or may not be one of the 13 dishes that you will be explaining to us. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Burned garlic. Oof. Because there's no fixing it. There's no going back. You just need to throw it away and start over. Got it. What pisses you off in the kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be good, I think. Um, I think uh, the disrespect for... 
either the product that you're working with or the person you're working alongside. Just there should be respect. And that that's the one thing that I think can piss me. Although it's been years since I've thrown a plate or any outburst of that. Of disrespect in the kitchen. Disrespect. What makes you happy in the kitchen? When the kitchen is just working at that uh, pace of uh, producing beautiful food and uh, seeing the cooks with their little tasting spoons tasting everything before it leaves their pan. Uh, that makes me happy to see that because how many times have you been in a restaurant where you get something and you're eating? Like there's just no, I can't swear, right? Correct. There's no way, don't swear. no swear, anyone tasted this before I left the kitchen. Because, I can't stand that. And I hate it. When I'm at a restaurant that it should have good tasting food and it comes out and you know it's lacking something or something wasn't seasoned or you just wondered if they tasted it, which the answer probably they is didn't. they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Name an ingredient you can't stand to see on a menu. Mm, I would say um, I'm pretty fed up with truffle oil. Yeah. I mean, I, I know they're 90% of truffle oil. Truffle oil is horrible and sucks and doesn't have anything to do with truffles whatsoever, but it has a chemical in it that sort of resembles the aroma and taste of truffle. But there are actually really good truffle oils out there, so I don't want to make all truffle oils bad, but 90% of truffle oil sucks. Yeah. Hmm. Good Disgusting. to know. Yeah. If you want to pass this next question to your wife, you may. What actor would you want to play Tony Montuano in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Jack Nicholson, perfect. Much younger Jack Nicholson, uh, yes. We're going to get on with it here. We have a little game we like to call, I put 13 Italian dishes in a bowl, we're going to pick one out, and you're going to tell us if it's real or not. Let's do it. I picked the number 13 because 13 is a lucky number in Italy, it right? It sure is. Yeah. yeah, you're right. We have 13 dishes that I wrote down on paper. We have a trophy of a, a bowl on this desk. Uh, around this table in between us. We're going to pick one out. Chef Tony's going to tell us, is it an authentic Italian dish? And maybe where it originated, where it's from, and how you can make it at home. And for those of you in the audience or those of you listening on the radio, the point of this is that you get really hungry and you're probably going to go eat pasta for dinner or sometime this week. Let's get at it. Pick a oh, I'm beautifully picking. crafted piece of paper out of this bowl. Here we go. This is a very tense situation here. Item number one is cacio pepe. Totally an Italian dish, often bastardized in this country. It's specifically a Roman dish, and it's really simply, that's like the first macaroni and cheese. Mm. You know, but it's just cooking your spaghetti to the point where it's probably four minutes from being done in the water, and you drain it, and you... That shy of... Yeah, yeah. Four, like, if it says 11, cook it 7. If wow. It says nine, yeah. And then drain it, but reserve, for a pound of pasta, about a cup of uh, the cooking water. This is the magic ingredient. This is the, the one the that... The cooking water. The cooking water. Yeah. Um, put it in... After you drain the pasta, put the pasta into a, a pan large enough to hold the pasta, add back the cooking water... And then slowly add in just a little bit of olive oil. This is 
Not a lot of olive oil, just a little bit. Is this a, a thing you do with olive oil, or is it... I really like the flavor of extra virgin olive oil. So Your olive oil spiaggia is incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's like fruity and delicious. It's something we've been doing for a while, and it's from Tuscany, and it's fresh, and every harvest we use it up until the next harvest, and then we get more. So I think it's one of the important things about olive oil that people don't always know is that it doesn't get better with age uh, as close to the harvest as possible once you open it use it up as fast as you can so after we cook the pasta put it back in the pan add a little bit add all of the pasta water a little bit extra virgin olive oil and then some pecorino romano cheese are we talking like a pound of pasta or just like a serving no this is like a pound pound, okay which probably in italy serves four or five people yeah and then pecorino like a good handful yeah a lot Lot, a lot, a couple yeah. handfuls. Yeah, a couple handfuls. And like 30 turns of your pepper mill. Like count it when you're doing it. And you, it's called cacio e pepe, so it has to have a lot of pepper. And then you just put it under uh, on top of a very slow flame and you just sort of whisk it all together, like stirring all the time so it becomes nice and emulsified and creamy. And that's it. So you're telling me that when people order cacio e pepe and they say it's too peppery. Yeah. <laughs> or can you add some grilled chicken to it? That's yeah. normal. <laughs> you can say, well, pepper's in the title. So, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah. Just confirming. All right, All right, there you have it, Cacio Pepe. Let's, let's, let's go for dish number two. All right. In the magical bowl of Italian dishes. I'm really excited for some of these, to be honest. Carbonara pasta. Ooh. I'm glad this one came up. Yeah. You started talking about it earlier. Probably again. Anytime a chef puts an egg on top of anything in America, they call it carbonara. It's fine. You can call that dish whatever you want to call it. It's probably delicious, but don't call it carbonara. Because carbonara just has the ingredients of guanciale, again, the cured jowl of pork, cheek, rendered down. Then you add again the pasta and the pasta water and an egg yolk, a white, just the yolk, and lots of cheese. And again, just cook it slowly together. Pecorino again? Pecorino, yeah. Some people like half pecorino, half parmigiano. I'm not going to. I mean, I think that's within the rules, the boundaries yeah. <laughs> of carbonara. But it's the, it's just, don't put an egg on top of something and call it carbonara. It's just like, you're disrespecting the Roman people. You know, it's like, there's a reason. I mean, this is a classic dish. And made correctly, it's unbelievable. We do a short segment for Beyond the Plate podcast called Just the Plate. In episode two, Rachel Ray, out of the thousands of recipes that she has, did carbonara pasta. Uh-huh. So it was about 30 minutes of her cooking carbonara pasta, which I had to edit down greatly because it was like how fine she grated the cheese to mm-hmm. the type of egg she buys in the store yeah. and beyond. But it was delicious. Someone actually called me after and said, do you have a video of her making that pasta? And I was like, she wasn't making the pasta. She was you know, Talking sitting there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so carbonara pasta. I feel like in Italy, it's a Roman dish, you said, right? Yeah. Carbonara and cacio pepe. Are Two in a row. Look at that. Two in a row. I feel like in Italy, you go to a lot of these, I want to call them cafes. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. Trattoria. Cafe. Trattorias. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them have these same dishes, but they're all good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like, yeah, obviously, we're not in Italy here sure. in the States, but you're like, you ask people, who is the best carbonara? And there you could just kind of pop in any trattoria and get a good dish. At least in, in 
in Rome. Unless there's a picture of the dish on a sign outside the restaurant, then you want to w- walk past that restaurant. Got it. Kind any, of any restaurant that like Little Italy in New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep walking. We're gonna go to a commercial break here soon, but let's let's pick out the next dish. All right, and we'll just keep people hanging, or maybe we'll start it. Lasagna. Lasagna. Mm-hmm. Lasagna, very Italian, specifically Bologna, and it's made with Bolognese sauce, usually green pasta. Really? Yeah, totally. Is that like is that like the original? Mm-hmm. The original lasagna is from Bologna. Bologna, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and we can go into Bolognese sauce and how to make that too, because that, that's essential. To that this. may or may not be in the bowl, the bowl of goods. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break here. Now we're going to come back with lasagna and maybe get a two for with Bolognese and lasagna. Sound good? <laughs> All right, all, we're back live from Soho House, Chicago. You're listening to Lumpin' Radio. I'm Cappy. I'm the host of a podcast called Beyond the Plate. We're here with Chef Tony Montuano of Spiaggia and many more restaurants, River Roast, Manja, Terzo Piano, and we're in the middle. You caught us in the middle of a game that we like to call I Put 13 Dishes in a Bowl. Tony's going to pick one out and explain to us if it's authentic or not, and he's going to tell us how to cook it. The last dish we picked out was lasagna, which... We learned was from Bologna. We learned it's always made with Bolognese sauce, which I didn't know that part. And it's made with green pasta, did you say? Yeah, normally it will be made with green pasta, traditionally. All right, so we're going to do a twofer in here and maybe take us through how you make Bolognese at home, and then we'll jump back in to lasagna. So Bolognese is really... I can start off by saying it's not doesn't have a lot of tomatoes. There's a little bit of tomatoes. Like tomato is is equal to all the other ingredients. Like either you're using ground pork or ground beef or a combination thereof, or and also maybe a little bit of ground pancetta. There's also carrots, celery, and onions. There's also a little red wine or white wine, whatever you prefer, and just a little bit of tomato. San Marzano, just a little bit of crushed tomato. And at the very end, you want to stir in maybe a little bit of cream, or some people add milk, and then also some grated Parmigiano cheese, chopped parsley, and just sort of stir it all together. But it's more, uh, it's it's thick. It is thick, and it's thick, but it, it should be more orangey than it should be red. It's not really a red, red sauce. So. Are, are there, what are like, are there some like common misconceptions of bolognese that you see? Oh, um, there. The list is long. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, carbonara. We you mentioned yeah. people said an egg yolk on top. I think there's people who use cream in carbonara or don't use cream in carbonara. Right. Which we know that we don't use cream. But what uh, what about bolognese? Do, do you think people think they add? They think it's a tomato sauce with meat. Bolognese? Yeah, I think so. I think that spaghetti bolognese is like a dish that's sort of international now. Yeah. And so ground meat, but. It should be more subtle than that. It shouldn't be just all about meat or all about tomato. It should be a balanced dish. Got it. So we have our bolognese sauce. Now take us through lasagna. Lasagna, traditionally green pasta layered with bolognese sauce, some ricotta cheese, some mozzarella cheese, lots of parmigiano cheese, and just repeat those layers and finish with cheese and bacon. Wait, I've seen like the bolognese in between each layer i've se- i've seen like a layer of the bolognese on the bottom mm-hmm. and then like thin layers of mm-hmm. like ricotta ricotta mixture i mean it's if we're talking traditional it's pretty much equally distributed between the layers of green pasta and bake. But I've seen it that way too. I've seen someone say, I have a hundred layer lasagna, which is interesting. Del Posto was doing something with that, Did like a 
it was like a secret menu item, right? It, 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 yeah. Do you have lasagna on your menu right now anywhere? Uh, no. Where can I get a lasagna that is up to your standards? Uh, Bologna. No. <laughs> Here. I don't know. Sorry. No, all right. All right. I'll, keep, yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. Give me a call. We'll it. wait you for dinner. Done. Uh, I have this recorded, and <laughs> I approve. All right, let's go, down to, let's go on to the next dish. We've done carbonara pasta. We've done lasagna. we got a twofer in there with bolognese. We have cacio pepe, which someone in the audience here may be making tonight for dinner already. That's so exciting. Next, we have a matriciana. Did I pronounce it right? You did a pretty good job. That's 99% almost there. All right. Look, it's that's the other great Roman pasta dish, and that is basically guanciale, olive oil, tomato. So we've heard guanciale a lot. Are you dicing it up into like little pieces and crisping it? or? I like it crisp. Um, so I would say like sort of a thicker like stick or matchstick for oh, the okay. carbonara. But in the Amatrician, I think just sliced really thin into like little sort of postage stamp size pieces. Just sort of sweat those down with olive oil and then add your tomato. I wouldn't even add garlic to that. And traditionally, garlic is not added to that. Traditionally, garlic is not in a Amatrician. Mm-hmm. When you say tomato, are we talking like fresh Diced tomato or like a tomato sauce? I mean, this time of year, you should use only fresh tomatoes because they're so incredibly delicious. So, But if not, then I would look for San Marzano DOP, which is important because that means that the government said that this actually grew in San Marzano and and, uh, is the real deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you get off with an easy one with that, but let's, let's keep digging around here. Let's keep digging into this bowl. We've covered all the really great Roman pasta. Yeah, dishes. how did that happen? We have like three or four. Oh, this is another one of my Rome. favorite topics. Oh yeah, <laughs> risotto. Here we go. If anyone is ever doing a tasting to be a sous chef or one of the restaurants, and they have to create four or five dishes for me to try before we consider hiring them, and if anyone dares to make risotto, anyone that knows me. That works for me will tell the person you're probably better off not making risotto because it's often made wrong a lot of times. It's just, you know, Joe Flam, who I've mentioned earlier, who's the executive chef at Spiaggia, just worked at a restaurant called Dal Pescatore in, in, in Italy, which has three mission stars where Kathy and I worked. I was going to say, didn't you ago. work there? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, one of their great dishes is risotto. And they're from in near Milan in Lombardia. So the risotto is one of their main dishes. And, and every table is probably ordering that. Everyone's having risotto, whether it's Parmigiano and Prosecco risotto or pumpkin risotto. But there are multiple cooks in the kitchen making risotto. From start to finish. And the first thing that the chef asked Joe was, how long do you cook your risotto in Espiaggia? And Joe said 13 minutes. And he said, that's correct. Ah, because everyone thinks it's 17? It's like yeah. It's like forever. But the thing is that it's challenging for a lot of people to get used to is al dente rice. Uh-huh. You like al dente pasta, but traditionally, technically, the rice and risotto should be al dente as well. The rice should still have a bite. Should have a bite and just slowly adding liquid, you know, just really, really slow. Do you serve it in a, in a bowl or on a plate? Plate. Fork or spoon? I would say that we serve both, if I remember, like, well, a fork and a sauce-type spoon. So it really should relax on a plate. It shouldn't, like, hold up in a bowl. It shouldn't mound. 
when you serve it and you put it onto the plate, it just should sort of spread and relax on the plate. Huh. I'm kind of, uh, I'm being quiet and imagining it, but we're on radio, so I probably shouldn't be quiet and imagine <laughs> it. Okay, is, is risotto from somewhere? Well, in the, I mean, the, the Po River in Lombardia is like one of the great rice-growing regions oh. or areas of Italy, so this restaurant's right there, Del Pescatore, so... Got it. It's awesome. I do want you to take us all the way through that risotto, but we're winding down here. We're getting to the end. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Cappy. I'm a host of Beyond the Play podcast. We're here with Chef Tony Montuano at Soho House Live. Thank you very, very much for sitting down and talking with us. Hot off the, the plane from Italy. We appreciate it. Give us one more shot of what's coming up next. We are actually, we've been asked to cook by the Italian Agriculture Ministry at a, the G7 Agricultural Conference in Bergamo, Italy, on October 15th. Uh, so there's seven countries, obviously, in G7, and there's one restaurant from each of the seven countries. So we're looking forward to that. How do you pick which dish you're going to do? Uh, that's we're still there. We're on deadline and we need to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you said it's one chef from seven different countries. Yeah. And you're representing the U.S. We are. That's exciting. So we feel like we can. We've cooked for presidents before. We'll be all right. Do you think you're going to do risotto? We might. <laughs> <laughs> Show them we can do it over here. Too. Is there cream and no cream in risotto? Depends on the risotto. Really? Yeah. So it's it it may be legal in some parts. It could be legal. Yeah. Finish it with parm. Almost always. Yeah. I think seafood, maybe cream and butter rather than cheese, but yeah. I'm still I'm still thinking what that del pescatore. Yeah. I'm dying to see that kitchen now. So great. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's just risotto multiple ways. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's other things. And it's it's a family. It's like the front of the house is, is Antonio and his partner, wife, Nadia, is the chef in the kitchen. Her son is also a chef. His grandmother works the grill. I mean, it's just a great place. How old is that restaurant? We worked there 34 years ago, and it was probably 50 years at that time. But, yeah, it's been around a long time. Great family restaurant. Excellent. Thank you, Tony. We appreciate it. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a great night. Thank you for tuning in to our second Fifth Wednesday episode. Find more on Chef Tony Montuano at spiaggiarestaurant.com. That's S-P-I-A-G-G-I-A restaurant.com. This episode was produced by Sean Petrosian, Ian Cohen, and Joel Yeaton. Thank you to those who were in attendance for this live recording at Soho House Chicago as well. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. We'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled episode. You may find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. We're on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast and Facebook. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.